and welcome to National Treasure Hunt, the podcast where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts. I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And what you can't see right now is Emily is mouthing the words to our opening as I speak, and I'm trying really hard not to laugh. (laughs) I'm so going to dub that video at some point if I can figure out how to do it so that it's your voice, but I'm the one talking. Yo, that would be so creepy. I'll see if I can figure it out eventually. No promises, everyone. Well, until then, welcome to the season seven finale of National Treasure Hunt. Wow. You sounded Big moments. Really, you sounded really unenthused about that. I'm honest. very enthused. This is insane, yo. We've been doing this for seven seasons. Oh my gosh. And you know what? Our season finale episode today is going to be a crowd pleaser. I already know it. We have a fantastic expert interview for you all today. We are going to introduce our guest in in just a moment, but it's a season finale. We really need to step up to the plate with some really strong admissions of how deep we are in the national treasure pit. Because I mean, we, we have 70 regular season episodes of this show, of this net, like this podcast now. So we must share some screams from Parkington Lane. <laughs> Emily, um, don't let me down. It is a season finale after all. I hope your scream is a good one. Jeez, no pressure. Um, so this is going to date the episode a little bit, but I was recently at the fall festival at uh, my husband's school, uh, the school that he works at. His elementary school is uh, Jefferson Elementary. Okay. And... There was a table about the history of the Jefferson building um, at this fall fest. And I walk over to the table because I see this like little plastic, it's maybe not plastic, it's like a figurine. And I'm like, hmm, what is that? And I walk over and the the woman behind the table goes, do you know who this is? And I was like, oh yeah, it's George Washington, right? And she goes, no. And Josh goes, Emily. It's Thomas Jefferson. And I was like, oh my gosh. But I took a picture of little old Tom Tommy Jeff. Uh and I can I can share that with uh Aubrey, who Mm -hmm. will share it with all of you on our social media. So um yeah. Got hit with got hit with some Thomas Jefferson during the Fall Fest. Aubrey, what's your stream? (laughs) I'm disappointed in you. (laughs) What? Well, I'm I'm proud that you remember to take a picture, but I'm disappointed that you can't tell the difference between Thomas Jefferson and George Washington. Would you have been able to tell me that this was Thomas Jefferson? I don't think it looks like George Washington. Well, does it look like Thomas Jefferson? You were at a school called Jefferson. I'm just saying. Okay. Um, My scream is that, I don't know, Em, I've been feeling a little insomnia lately. Um... I don't really know why, but what this has resulted in is me lying in bed at night, sometimes for hours, and my brain starts wandering, right, as it does, and routinely now, my brain is going to, when I cannot sleep, brainstorming marketing campaigns for National Treasure 3. It has gotten so intense that I have like gotten up from my bed, walked out of the room to a notebook and started writing down these ideas because I'm very now serious about developing 
like marketing plans for this movie that has not been greenlit yet. So um, that's me. I think that's a pretty deep scream. Yeah. Um, if you uh, if you want, you can you know off air ask me about the time I couldn't fall asleep and started brainstorming interview questions to ask Nicolas Cage. That was another one. Okay. Well, Aubrey just too screamed us. Uh, <laughs> my ears hurt. If your ears <laughs> also hurt, go ahead and check us out on a different platform where you don't hear us talk quite as much. Um, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. We're also available on our website at nthuntpodcast.com. If you somehow haven't already and you need something in time for the impending holiday season, please go ahead and order your own copy of National Treasure Hunt One Step Short of Crazy at tuckerdspress.com. If you would like to become a certified member of our community, you may also join our Patreon at patreon.com slash ntuntpodcast. Uh, and there you will get even more fun banter from Aubrey and I, some live watches and other bonus content. And once again, holiday gift time, we are here for you, okay? National Treasure Hunt is making its mark in the holiday gift exchange season. Um, and so we have a candle, in case you weren't aware of that. We made this in collaboration with Clio, and you can find this candle on exploreclio.com that is explore k l e i o.com okay i know emily gives that little spiel every episode you probably have it committed to memory by now um but i do just want to add a little extra plug this is the conclusion of season seven which means if you want off-season content from us more consistently than you're gonna get on our you know social media definitely join our patreon it would be a good time to do so um and if you want to meet us in person if you want to engage in some of our events be plugged into all of these spaces y'all we already have some really exciting stuff in the works for 2024 like live events and stuff so yay okay so with that exciting preface said let's dive in to today's episode. Our episode today is featuring a very special guest, Katie Patton Pryor, the executive director of the Baton Rouge Film Commission. Now we're going to let Katie explain early on in our conversation what a film commission does, what her role actually is. But the reason we are chatting with her today, in case you somehow forgot, National Treasure Edge of History features Baton Rouge, Louisiana as its principal location. Um, in fact, it even when it says it's not located in Baton Rouge, it pretty much is, right? So like there are parts that take place in Baton Rouge. There are parts that take place in like Mexico or Texas, but like this was filmed in Baton Rouge and Katie had a major hand to play in facilitating those logistics. And we're going to learn a lot of behind the scenes info from her today. So what are you going to learn from this episode? Well, it's really hard to just pick out a few items as examples, but for starters, you'll learn how and why Edge of History ended up filming in Baton Rouge in the first place. You will also learn about an exciting new experience coming to Baton Rouge that may just be related to National Treasure Edge of History. And something a little bit more big picture that I think 
will be interesting to everyone listening. I know it was interesting to me. You'll learn a little bit about the relationship between Disney, like, you know, the mouse, and the communities that Disney films in. I found this really, really interesting. We get to learn a bit about that dynamic and how the company engages kind of with the local scene. So I I think... I kind of wanted to keep this short and sweet um, because we have so much to dive into. Is there anything else we should share before we get started? Just enjoy. Absolutely. So without further ado, please join us in welcoming Katie Patton Pryor to National Treasure Hunt. Katie, thank you so much for joining us on National Treasure Hunt today. We are so excited to talk to you, and I'm hoping you could get us started by introducing yourself, your background, and kind of your role at the Baton Rouge Film Commission. I'm also kind of hoping in your answer that, you know, for listeners who might be unfamiliar, maybe you can also explain like what a film commission does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, first and foremost, thank you for having me on. I'm very excited to be joining you guys today. And yes, I will address your questions. It's amazing. Like, absolutely no one knows what we do. We're the secret force behind. Um, so I'll, I'll give a, a short and a long answer. So the quick bio, Katie Pryor, born, raised Alabama, been the film commissioner in Louisiana or in Baton Rouge, Louisiana since 2017 and had the pleasure of being the film commissioner while National Treasures TV series was here. And basically what a film commission is, is we work in the economic development sector of film. And we also kind of lead over into the creative in the fact that we're constantly recruiting and bringing films in. We support the local creative economy. And I hate this reference, but my partner calls it, calls me the DMV of film. And I'm like, don't call me that because, you know, DMV is where dreams go to die. It's like terrible. So, uh, but yeah, I do all the permitting and, you know, the paperwork and the logistics and connect you to city services and the road closures and the fire and the ambulance and the noise ordinances and things like that. You know, when we have a cannon going off downtown, we don't want anyone to think we started World War III. We let everybody know, you know, that kind of stuff. And then facilitate um, when a production, the way I tell filmmakers to think about it is we're basically a producer on staff that the city is paying for. So why not use us? You know, you're coming into a new community, trying to figure out what's here. We can be really helpful. So I think I gave you two long answers instead of a short and a long, sorry. That was, that was amazing. Thank you. I knew none of those things and didn't even know that like logically it makes sense that someone would need to do that. (laughs) But I did like, I just didn't know that that was us there was a specific role for that and now that you explain it it's obviously so incredibly important like like you said you don't want someone thinking that you're starting world war three with a sound effect um we try and work for the community as much as we work for the production and just facilitate it all and make it all work and you're not alone even filmmakers don't know that film commissioners especially new filmmakers you know they don't know film commissioners exist but um i also am part of a nonprofit, film usa which is a association of film commissioners across the U.S. and there are hundreds and hundreds of us, so we're real. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, so obviously you know a lot about Baton Rouge. Uh, what can you tell us about the history of Baton Rouge and how do you seek to kind of showcase this history in Hollywood productions specifically? Sure. So. I, I'm going to try and do a short answer on this as well. I feel like I need to add the caveat that my mom is a retired American history professor. So if I 
go off. Like that might be some of it, but the Baton Rouge, which translates in French is red stick. And I'll tell you why. Um, we have been around for a really long time. We started with the French. You can see it in the architecture. The French came around. That's who we got the red stick name from, of course. And the way that happened was the we we were on the lands of the of the Bayou Gula and Homa Indians. So then the French come along, and the Indians had a uh, basically sticks marking out different territories that they had put bears' heads on and fish heads on, so the, it was bloody. And so the French, I guess, were just like, qu'est-ce que c'est? C'est en Baton Rouge, d'accord, c'est ville en Baton Rouge, and just named it, named the city Baton Rouge, which we lost and then came back. So then we, so we became that. And then England, we've flown a lot of flags here. Um, then we were England after the Treaty of Paris. So that was 1763. Sorry, mom, if I got that wrong. Uh, we can Google that after. I should have Googled that. Um, and then the Spanish, then, yeah, so then the treaty, yeah, English by the Treaty of Paris, Spanish after they were defeated, after they defeated the English. So then we went under Spanish. So really, honestly, we were Spanish for a while. And that's why a lot of the architecture around here is gives Spanish vibes. Um, if y'all make it down, I'll give you a tour. And then the Spanish were overthrown by the, the settlers and it became the West Florida area and then Louisiana I know bizarre right and then the then it became the West Florida Republic I'm probably mixing some of this up and then it became the then we came back to Baton Rouge and we've we've flown French English Spanish Confederate United States Louisiana and West Florida flags here so that's like a that's a whole lot of history and then I guess the you know, the big thing for us is during the Civil War, the capital was moved around a little bit, but then it did land in Baton Rouge and we, we were permanently the capital since. And then the when because of our location on the Mississippi River, industry obviously did quite well for us. So we've boomed since. Uh, so how do you with all of that history, how do you seek to showcase it in Hollywood productions? So we're we don't usually get a lot of hands in to what the story development. Um, this particular project was kind of a one-off for that and we'll get into why, uh, but the educating people and showcasing what it is we have. And, you know, we have a tourism office that is both at state level and local level, it's always pushing that. And you hope that some of these stories catch and, and people write about them. And Louisiana has additional incentives to use local writers. So, you know, we're always hoping and pushing that, that you could write a local story and set it here and have that. At the end of the day, too, Louisiana is really beautiful. And so we and apparently everyone thinks horror movies should be set in a swamp. So we get a lot of those. Um, I guess the moss gives the vibes, but they. Um, yeah, so unfortunately, we don't get to but we don't get to force it. But we have like Huey P. Long was a very colorful governor made senator who has a very interesting history. Also worth a quick Google. They've made several movies about him, um, most notably, probably all the King's men. So that showcased Baton Rouge a lot. And then uh, Greyhound, which was recently done, Playtone Sony was on Apple. That was a World War II film by Tom Hanks because he loves to make a World War II film. And that was done on the destroyer that we have here parked on the water, parked on the Mississippi. So those are little pieces of history that get showcased. So part of what the film commission does is try and show the truth of, you know, hey, this destroyer is here and this is not the Atlantic, it is the Mississippi and come see and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, that one's been a long time in post because they had turned the Mississippi into the Atlantic. So, ah, uh, I, I, I really, I, I'm liking this vibe of making sure that like or pointing out what is factually correct versus what is not factually correct because that is a very uh national treasure thing it's a very national treasure hunt thing that aubrey and i uh like to do so with that in mind what was your relationship with the national treasure franchise before edge of history kind of rolled into town so big fan. Uh, I feel like everybody was. I don't feel like there's anybody you'll ever meet that didn't like or know that movie. I mean, everybody. So I was a senior in college, I think, when the first one came out. Um, and and again, you know, with my mom and whatnot, I just yeah. loved it. But my mom's always there to like poke holes through anything that you put American history on television over. So she's the first to be like, oh, no, or oh, they would have. She should have been a technical advisor on all those shows. <laughs> yeah. So that would be that would be my history with them. Just big fan. Watched all of them. They're kind of like a warm blanket show to me, like the ones that you can leave on in the background, even after you've seen it a thousand times, like no matter what, you know. You know, it's amazing hearing you say that because we have gotten that exact reaction from the vast majority of people that we've interviewed at this point, which is a lot of people. So it's really cool how that's a common thread, you know, a common feeling or sentiment surrounding these films, even now, well, next year, it'll be 20 years later, uh, following the first film. Yeah. Wow. That also just, that is the first time I've thought that I have been out of college for 20 years. So that's kind of a painful thought. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, wow. sorry about that. No, it's okay. We get wiser. Oh man, Nick Cage is looking good. He's aging well. Yeah, you know, Diane Kruger's not aging. I'm gonna have to talk to her about. That. Yes, it's so funny. I mean, we're obviously gonna get to more about Edge of History, but when we saw the appearance of Justin Bartha playing Riley in Edge of History, he looked so different than we remembered him. But like, still, still young, but substantially different and, and it, it shocked us for a moment and then in retrospect it has been 20 years yeah yeah there's a man it, it's it's hard when something lives in your brain like that it's so hard to to age it right yeah, yeah. it's so true okay so this might be somewhat of a naive question and maybe it's even a case study of how productions always come to town or maybe there were some unique elements of edge of history but let's back it up to how a production actually chooses Baton Rouge, for instance, as a location. Why or how did Edge of History end up in Baton Rouge? Were you part of those conversations from the get-go? What did the production team come in looking for and that, you know, that Baton Rouge could fulfill? Sure. No, that's a great question. Baton Rouge has had a long history of filming. We have the infrastructure, we have, you know, cool locations, we have a stage space and we're very familiar with the process. So it's, you can come in and slide in and film. So I think all those things kind of factor into when a studio is looking, but the specifically with this project, uh, they were, I have a relationship with the studio behind it. And you find out as film commissioner, you find out kind of what's in development and they were up between two cities and i don't know if i can say what the other one is because if i wonder if they'll how about i just tell you two secretly off the record oh you could tell us and then we'll bleep it out okay so it was up between the two of us and it's because those are really really history deep cities uh and they they had already narrowed it down by the time i had caught wind of it 
And so my job at that point was to send a entire constant feed of here are some really cool stories of what's happened in Baton Rouge. Here's some historical events. Here's some what we still have. Here are some pictures of everything. And I never knew what they were going to use. And so I just was flooding them with this is what this is us, you know, and it worked out. And then we got the call that it was us and they were coming. And and at that point, I still didn't know what the story was. I didn't get to read the script till much later. And I was, I just knew they were coming. And so at that point, I start working with the the people a film commissioner works with closely are going to be the line producer and the location managers. So we, the relationship started with me sending a lot of information. We find out we're going to get it. The producer comes in town. I take them on a tour. I show them everything and then introduce them to the location managers that are full-time local and they start working with them. And then everything just evolves from there. So it's kind of sounds like the the production team was interested explicitly in showcasing local history in a story and that's kind of what guided their selection of a you know, a location to begin with which is kind of cool i think oh absolutely i think you know the wibberleys who wrote the films or the showrunners who write the tv series and they are everyone here called them the wibs they were like immediately integrated into the community here they're fantastic people and i think they just keep a list of all the cool history spots in the world or in the U.S. and the world and are just always ready to to jump. So I when they started talking about the show, I think they had in mind a couple of the cities and it got narrowed down to those two. Got it. You know, it's so funny. Emily and I recently joked um, on a different episode how we swear people like the Wibs, who we also love, they're honestly fantastic people, or National Treasure Director John Turtletob, who we have a good relationship with. We swear people like that know more history than I would even suspect, like a middle school history teacher, because they have to know so much to be able to draw the puzzle pieces together. They need to be able to have a full bank of ideas to pick and choose what's going to work. And and they, we know they have a vault of ideas that were never used. Right. So um, I like to think that they learn something, you know, they go on, they go visit a museum or they go visit a new city, even on vacation. They tuck little things away every. Oh yeah. And I imagine you guys probably think like that now too, when you go to a museum and you're like, Oh, this could tie into a great film. You have no idea. It's actually a problem at this point. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I do the same thing. I'll walk through and be like, oh, there's a lot of stuff I wish they had put in or done a second season so that they could have included because, but, you know. Well, let's, I mean, you know, we can, we can dive into a little bit more of that later, but anything you want to, want to mention right off the top, were there things that you had suggested to them and, you know, that didn't make it in? Oh yeah. I mean, there were, uh, there were, I mean, I sent, we sent so much stuff. There's absolutely no way they could have included it all. We have, you know, wild different history points here, um, you know, beautiful cemeteries, other historical markers they didn't use. We have a cannon sticking out of the ground uh, that has a, a history everybody's fighting over at how it was done um, downtown. We have uh, Mark Twain has a famous quote about how much he hated our old stat- capital. That was the ugliest building in the world. I would have loved a reference to that. We've had uh, famous authors, famous, really crazy famous political figures. QEP Long would have been a great one to nod in the show. Um, we have re- we have a beautiful campus. The universities are stunning. A lot of Spanish architecture, a lot of nods to that, a lot of hidden coves. We have tunnels. Um, well, so the tunnel's closed. It's a speakeasy now. But there was a tunnel between two downtown hotels 
where our former QEP Long, the former governor, had um, women of evening come a companionship, go be able to go back and forth without being noticed. And we have since opened that tunnel under the Hilton downtown and turned it into a speakeasy. So it's a really fun place to go grab a drink. Yeah, it's really cool. cool. Amazing music halls and juke joints that have been around for ages, like listening rooms and things like that. Gustav Young, that's somebody else in history that I, he was a big leader in the civil rights movement. He did the big march through Baton Rouge. I mean, there's just, there's tons of stuff. There's tons of stuff. Oh my gosh. I, I just got excited all over again and then sad all over again that the show didn't get renewed. <laughs> Yet I'm holding out hope. I'm like, come on, one more. One more. So um, there were a lot of buildings in Baton Rouge that ended up, shall we say, standing in for buildings uh, that were written into the script. So things like an FBI building to a Freemason Lodge and a ton more. So what can you tell us about the buildings that were used in these and other scenes and like, what are they in real life? <laughs> yeah. So not shockingly, we do not have an FBI headquarters here. Um, but the exterior where they're walking in, that's a library that they just redid the name up top. So the, and also I'll, I'll see if I can get crafty apes is a local company in there. I say local, they have one office here. They're all over the world. They're one of the biggest uh, visual uh, effects offices and companies in the world. They did a lot of that. So they turned the FBI building sign. They did like when they when they drive over the border, uh, they set up actually it's Celtic like entering into the stages and they redid it, you know, fix it in post. Right. So they did it with special effects. And I'll see if I can get the reel for you, because that's a really you can see everything that was done through them or at least connect you to them, get them to send you the reel. Um, also, we do not have Graceland here. <laughs> for those of you who are wondering uh, the, oh, but the interior of the FBI. So there was an old bank that was moving into a different location. So they turned that old bank into the interior and the exterior was a library. So that was really cool. They did a great job. They did. I thought they did a spectacular job on that. Then Graceland, not here. So the exterior of the Graceland shots are two different locations. One's a private residence and one is assisted living home. And the interior was the private residence they redid to look like Graceland. That's somebody's house. Wow. Is that, is that common that, that like people's houses get used? Oh yeah. Very common. Very common. We can talk about um, what it's like to have your house in a film as well, but some of the other locations. So the, uh, the house was the exterior is, is here. You can drive by it. The interior was built at Celtic, Celtic Media Center, Celtic Studios. Uh, the interior of the plane was built there as well. The students' apartment, I say students, I guess young adult apartment was built there. Um, and which is cool too, because they print out the what would actually have been the view. So it's your city on this big, when you walk in, it's like this big tapestry of the city on set, which is really bizarre. Huh. And um what else? The governor's mansion that they use is the old governor's mansion. So here we do have the current governor's mansion where the governor lives. Uh, very tricky to film there. But we have the old governor's mansion, which was Huey P. Long's mansion. And it's a great, we, I don't know how much time we have, but it's a great story on how we got that built. And the top floor is built in the layout of the Oval Office because he was convinced that he was going to be president. 
and he didn't want to get lost his first day in the White House. So the oh, and that the old governor's mansion here has you can see Kathy Bates is the governor outside the old governor's mansion in Highwaymen. You can see it in it's been in several several films. So that was that's a that's a big one here that a lot of people have filmed there. Uh, Loss of Tear Diamond film there, Tennessee Williams thing, and Squeaky Pete's where they is real. And not only is it real, it is literally right across from my office. I can go anytime I want. No way. Wait, it, and it's called Squeaky Pete's? Pete's, yeah. You can come. I'll have to send you guys a coaster from Squeaky Pete's. So. Oh my God. Yes. That goes with the collection perfectly. That That is wild. What Also, nice marketing for, for that bar. I know genius, right? And the crew like ate their patron there and whatnot. So it was it was very nice for Squeakies. They were they were very pleased. Uh, the Alamo, not here. Cool story about the Alamo. So they did it in two two different ways. So we have a a club on North Boulevard, which is one of the main drives downtown, and the interior of that was used as the restaurant where Billy and Jesse dined. Mm -hmm. you can go have a meal there as well and then the we'll have to ask a member to let you in and then the exterior has got a and i'll see if i can find you some pictures it's got a big alleyway and they put a big screen screen and did the whole battle scene there which is really cool to have i went out i was on set that day and everybody's in costume and everything around you and then there's this just slice right and it's nuts and then there was, uh, and then the, what was, this is movie magic. So there's this one tree at the Alamo that is like very identifiable and this is what it looks like. So they scoured the state and they happened to find their favorite tree right in Baton Rouge on Capitol grounds. So the Capitol downtown has one of every tree in the garden that you can find in Louisiana. That's part of the plan. So you can tour and see what trees we have. So all, so this one tree and y'all keep in mind, like when a when a movie builds a set, right? It's a big deal. Uh-huh. When our politicians are in session, it's also a big deal. So there's a lot of traffic. So they worked together and made it all happen. And then the they were Disney was wonderful. They left the set up an extra week for our entire entire legislative group to come through and tour it. So it was really neat. They left it open so you could go and see. So it was really, it was really nice. But that, that tree, man, was exactly what they wanted. Um, the USS Kid is here. That's real. And the USS Kid is available for tours. You can actually stay overnight on the USS Kid if you so choose. Not every night, but you can book a, a plant, book one. They also have a really beautiful ceremony once a year. And I should know the date because I'm on the board, but of the date that it was kamikaze and it's like really moving and they have survivors of World War II, the, you know, the three that are left speak. And it's, it's fantastic. I highly recommend going to that. So yeah, it's ready to tour. Um, golly, all right, I could go on and on. What other buildings do you want to know about? What about uh, Sadowski's secret clue room? Um, that, that was a I set. Got, I get asses <laughs> all the time. And the, the owners, of the, so the exterior of the house is local. And the owners get asked that all the time. And it it was built, it was built at Celtic and it was super, I got to tour it um, after they built it and it was amazing. And actually I was renovating my home at the same time. And I walked in, I was like, I really like this color. Can I talk to the art department, please? I need to know what color this is. And my office is almost the same color. <laughs> I 
Love that. It, bringing work home with you in an actually healthy way. That's, yeah, I love that for you. Um, okay, really quick, before I keep with the questions, Emily, I do feel the need to, you know, have an aside here. We want to go to Baton Rouge, but now I'm realizing how much we need to do there when we eventually visit because everything that you're saying Katie about the the filming specifically but even just the additional tidbits about like the one of every tree what like that's, that's wild crazy. you know what I mean I've not been to Baton Rouge before Emma I don't know if you have no I haven't I've, I've not been to Louisiana well we can fix that y'all come on down we will we great music we eat great food and we have history everywhere so I mean what more do you want that's basically all we look for. I mean, Emily's a huge music person. I'm a big food person. We're collectively a national treasure people. And so I like to say when we have guests, you know, be careful what you invite us to do because we will show up. <laughs> well, listen, I'm all for that. It's funny. I have a, a, a member of the Association of Film Commissioners internationally as well. And I'm always like telling people, no, you really need to visit Louisiana. It's incredible. And I don't just say Baton Rouge, like come to Baton Rouge for a couple of days, go to New Orleans, go to Lafayette you know, see all of Louisiana. And so one of my friends is film commissioner of Estonia and she was there, you know, different culture and very seriously. She goes, do you mean it? I said, oh, test me. And she came and stayed with me for 10 days and we did a history tour of South Louisiana and it was incredible. So yeah, no, we mean it. When Southern people say we want to host you, we mean it. Oh, okay. Well, now I'm really excited for our next weekly meeting, Emily, because we will begin discussing this. Um, before I- Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say the timing on that, when y'all come, I'd love to put you together with the, uh, with the tourism office because they host writers and podcasters and all that kind of stuff. And they help, and they can help coordinate and make it like, you know, really tailor it to you and show you some things or whatnot. And that'll be depending on the time of year y'all want to come. Um, and we will have a trail put together for you for national treasure. Oh my gosh. Okay. Cannot wait. This is 100% going to happen details tbc um so before i go you know any more wild ideas one more location that i wanted to mention before we dive back into the other questions the devil's swamp legit okay so we have a lot of swamps here none called the devil's swamp there is a swamp in mississippi called the devil's swamp but i don't think it's the same as in the storyline uh, but i think they made that up but the we do have plenty of swamps and when you come I say this to any visitor, you absolutely have to take a swamp tour. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that. When we we interviewed, we've had the pleasure of interviewing several cast members from the show at this point, and I will never forget Brita Wool, uh, who played Casey. Um, she could not stop talking about the bugs in the swamp. The the giant, she said they were pink or something. Like she said they were crazy. They were these crazy bugs. They were like a weird color, but it was also like you like there was some reason why you didn't want to touch them to touch them this is spring a bell at all oh not the pink bugs i will say that the mosquito like if you mosquitoes are bad period bad in the south bad in louisiana but like if you're going to the swamps you're running a buffet like you need to protect yourself we got so in the when louisiana first was there was a big acadian migration through canada and that was how the acadiana culture got down here and how we became kind of what we are and there's in quebec i mean in nova scotia there's a, the acadiana 
uh, celebration, the festivals and in August, I believe. And I was up there one year for them and they do a play that's based on the letters that the families exchanged. Because think about it back then, Louisiana was not settled at all. And so these people came down, they get into this environment and it's wild. So they're sending letters back home. And one of the letters, so they, all the, all the, every single word in this place cut from a letter. And one of them was talking about how these birds suck the blood from you and yada, yada. They were talking about the mosquitoes, but they had never seen a mosquito that's, you know, this big. And so I was up there and every single person looks at me and they're like, is that real? I was like, well, it's a little bit better now. It's not quite, we're a little bit more industrial now. You know, we've got major industry, major businesses, different, but yeah, you go to the swamps and that's where you'll find them. Okay. Okay. So we have to bring off. Got it. Um, (laughs) Okay. So I know one thing that we were curious about, and I know you said, you know, typically there's limited input into the creative when, when you're working with a production, but it sounds like this was maybe a slight exception because of all the ideas you were able to provide. Um, when you were providing the ideas or even when you were in conversation with the the creative team, did you, was it obvious to you that they were trying to create nods to the original films? I'm thinking, for example, using the USS Kid immediately felt so much to us as national treasure you know experts completely to parallel the first film when ben meets up with ian howe's team on the uss intrepid you know it's like the vil- the protagonist and the villain meeting on you know a, a, one of these warships um so were you aware of sort of that intention at all no, I was very much on the outside of that. So I was just putting quarters into the machine and never saw anything come out. So I was in the dark about all of that. And I absolutely love this question because you're you're so right. And the writers were so smart and always collecting and always doing nods and throwbacks and whatnot that you do you can kind of unweave and what and that had never dawned on me until you said it. Um, the USS Kid is a destroyer, and the uh, USS Intrepid is an aircraft carrier, mm-hmm. but I think you're, I, I feel like you have to be right. They probably saw that the USS kid was here and we're like, Oh, I can see how this ties in, you know? And yeah. I just, I feel like there's no way they weren't because it's where the good guy and the bad guy meet for the first time. Exactly. Exactly. I, and they're so clever. You know, we, we often look at some of these things nowadays and we're like, okay, are we picking up what they're putting down or are we creating something out of nothing? You know? And so sometimes we ask them and they're like, Oh yeah, I guess that's true. We haven't asked about this point, which is why I wanted to bring it up here. But um, yeah, I do. I like to think that they were taking all the information you were feeding them and finding any little connection because to throw a bone whenever they could, whenever, what we noticed immediately when we watched the show was that, you know, there were different levels of, Easter eggs, if you will. There were the really subtle things that the really diehard fans or you had to really be looking for it. And then there were the super obvious ones, you know, like the old clues being in Sadusky's clue room and stuff like that, which had something for everyone. Mm -hmm. I agree. I was super curious what y'all thought of it, because I mean, I feel like anybody's opinion matters on this. It's going to be the experts. Like, what did y'all think when you were watching it? You know, Emily and I had some different opinions, so I'll let, you know, both of us reply. Um, My overarching view was, in general, I thought the first half of of the 
season was far weaker than the second half. I thought the second half was when it really came into its own and felt like national treasure again. Honestly, the cliffhanger, the the big reveal at the end of episode nine, they could have stopped the show there and I would have been set. I was like, that was absolutely incredible. But my biggest issue in terms of feeling like national treasure, it felt a lot less like... um, it felt a lot less like needing to solve historical clues and a lot more about like random puzzles that you didn't necessarily need the historical knowledge to solve, which to me was the biggest divergence between the two properties. Emily, yeah, what did you think, Em? Um, I mean, I I definitely agree with Aubrey. I I thought the second half of the season was definitely better than the first. Um, I kind of go into all of National Treasure uh with a little more of just kind of like a wide net like i like treasure hunts and i like the idea that things could be founded in history um even if it's not necessarily like 100% true um and to me this was i got to be in the world of national treasure again which i'd been looking for for so long uh that i really enjoyed it and i enjoyed the the spin that was put on it where you had a more diverse representation and you know like real life issues were brought up that might not have been brought up back in 2004 or 2007 and stuff like that but um i mean it was definitely was different uh than national treasure uh but uh, overall i i i was just happy to be back yeah, I hope it comes back again. And I do, I think you're right. There's the ability, A, to explore it as a television series and I guess streaming series, but we all know what I mean when I say TV series, but just as a as a episodic gives a lot more opportunity to dive into some of those character developments and personal issues and whatnot that you were talking about. So it gives it a different structure. And I think the, now that, now that Aubrey's let the cat out of the bag that it was 20 years ago that they, they came out, you know, it, those of us who watched it when we were younger, maybe even have kids or younger people in our lives that like are seeing it, seeing it for the first time. And maybe it kind of tailors to both groups in a different way. Totally. Well, that's, I mean, we were also going to end up asking you if you watch, ended up watching the full season and, and what you thought of it, both, not just story-wise, but also in the end, I mean, you're the expert here on in terms of Baton Rouge and how you can showcase it, you know, effectively in these sorts of productions. Did you like how it ultimately portrayed the city? Yeah, absolutely. I liked it. Um, of course, I watched the whole thing enthusiastically, you know, immediately. And we hosted a, with the aid of Disney, we were absolutely incredible in the community. We hosted a community screening of the first two hours the night that it premiered. And it was, it was really fun. A lot of the people who had worked on it came, the energy was great. And, you know, it was just, it was just a great get together. So it kicked off with a bang for me, just in the community sense, you know, watching it in that environment. So that was lovely. And then came home and binged the rest as soon as I could. And I, I liked it. I like, but I'm biased, you know, I was there, I was part of it. It was personal. And, and I knew I was biased. I knew I was watching with bias. And also I'm watching it representing a city that I know it's like watch it it's like when your friend's in a movie and you watch it and you're like oh yeah this is perfect it's wonderful so of course I'm optimistically biased and enjoyed it a lot and it's just nice to see the city 
Um, it was really fun to watch it in a group of locals the first two hours and everyone being like, oh, 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 you know, because the community didn't know they were all over the place. All these roads were closed. Everyone knew they were coming. Everybody was excited. The community was all behind this. And so when it came out, the energy was really awesome. That's one of the cool things that the franchise, I think, has done for 20 years now, truly. I mean, when you talk about you know, Washington, D.C. or Philadelphia and, and places where the that were highly showcased in the first two films, to this day, people go to these places visiting and the people who are from or live there take a certain amount of pride in being able to talk about that. So it's really cool to see um, a slightly smaller city like Baton Rouge now have that, that kind of spotlight. So, you know, ultimately you mentioned at the beginning of this, that the role of a film commission is to really work in the, you know, the economic development and the tourism elements of to kind of weave it all together. So if you were to summarize how edge of history's presence benefited the city, like, what would you, what would you say? Oh, like, incredible. So let's, start from the economic development standpoint, um, just on the immediate. So they come, production is really interesting because you don't have a lot of lead time necessarily in production. So if you want to get a company to come in and drop several million dollars in a month, you're working with that for a year to try and develop it. You know, we worked for a year with these people and then boom, it, it once it's written, it comes, it spends a lot of money, you know, 50 million plus dollars in our community and a lot of that's payroll so it's hiring and it's paying jobs it's buying from vendors these people who who you know the people who are coming in for the production or dining at our restaurants using our dry cleaners all that so and then the production itself is buying tons of greens from the local landscaping it's buying the lumber it's buying all this you know and and uh, think about it too with that clue room the set department was like shopping all our antique stores and I don't know how many of the cast and crew you've talked to but we have a lot of really great antique stores and secondhand stores and thrift stores here and everybody became obsessed with them um and everybody was constantly visiting those they're all in the mid-city area and people are just rocking that so it was, it's it's beneficial in that way and then also when someone's homes used paid and you know so they're spending money and they're really investing right and then the other element is Baton Rouge now lives forever as one of the movie stars of this series on a major streaming network you can't get that kind of tourism value anywhere else. You can't put a print ad that does that. I can send you a video on what there is to do in Baton Rouge, but now it's burned into your brain with the neurocinematics it's called super stimuli. And you, every part of your brain was firing when you were taking in this information. Now you will forever remember that the USS kid is here because mm -hmm. you saw it on that screen, you know, and if you were in a trivia night and someone asked you, where is that? You'd be like, Oh, I happen to know this because I saw it in a TV show. So that, that kind of value, you just can't put a number on it. So it was incredible. And there were also a lot. So uh, we have crew training programs here and I teach at the local university as well. And so a lot of those kids got opportunity to work on set and they took on interns and did set visits and all that. So this is the second time in my time as a film commissioner that Disney's come and they've just, they're such a community partner when they come. It's awesome. Wow, that's, that's great to hear. I, I love the idea that uh, these these students got to like go to set and and be part of that. Do do you have any? I mean, it doesn't have to involve these students, but do you have any in general fun behind the scenes stories from like the sets and from filming? You know, it's funny you asked me this, and like my mind immediately goes to a thousand stories, but none of them about National Treasure. I'm like trying to think like which ones 
for that. Uh, I will say the the tree was a pretty awesome story. Like they scoured the entire everywhere for this one tree that looks like the tree in the Alamo and it's, it was here. And touring the, letting our legislature come through, uh, bring the students on, trying to think if there are any like good juicy, I met, you know, I got to meet a lot of people. They're really incredible. I think maybe a fun story, which is, it becomes part of my job is, you know, once you get to know everybody, you kind of become like the go-to concierge where you're getting like a text message. Hey, really quickly, I'm at such and such restaurant. Do I get this or this? And I get this with sauce on the side and add this, you know? And uh, so you become, you become that as well, which that's just a fun fun way it's just like having friends in town all the time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how long were they in town filming this was a pretty long process right yeah it was several months um I'd have to pull the dates for you exactly it all kind of was a blur for me but they were here for several months and and closed a lot of roads yeah that that tracks I feel like it's cool because um like you said Baton Rouge kind of becomes its own character and I think it's also really special that they name the city because I know there are certain cities that are often stand-ins for other cities um in production is Baton Rouge frequently the case for that for for your city as well yeah I mean we've had a small we had several smaller films smaller projects call us by name uh which is like the golden goose for film commissions we always want to be represented as ourselves but this was the biggest project by far. And the we've doubled as Tokyo. We've doubled as, um, you know, futuristic, utopic type places. We've been Wild Wild West. We've been Anywhere America. We've been New York. We've been New Orleans. We've been all these other places. And then to, to be us, it's just so special. Oh, my God. I don't know why when you said Tokyo, that is the last place I would think. I don't know why. I mean, just, well, you know why? You know why I can say that? Because I watched Edge of History and I'm like, that doesn't track with Tokyo at all. (laughs) It's very bizarre. We've been LA, we've been Hawaii, we've been all kinds of things. And you're like, what? But you find these little movie magic, y'all. You find these little coves. And then you got, you've got special, you know, VFX artists that can turn anything into anything. Yeah. Wow. That is absolutely fascinating. Um, Okay, before we start wrapping up, one other question. Um, based on your recollection, were there any scenes filmed, I guess, specifically on locations, like at, instead of on sets that, um, I don't know, maybe we didn't get to see? Did they end up cutting anything that you're aware of um, featuring particular uh, structures or buildings or anything like that? Not that I know of. They kind of had, everyone was so excited. They kind of had free reign of the city. Um, so they really got to, really got to kind of get anything and do everything they want. And I don't know of anything that landed on the cutting floor. Cool. That's awesome. That. I wish oh. they, I wish they put more things in there. Like everything I listed at the beginning of the call, I wish they'd be able to put some of that stuff in there. Were but. you in any conversations with them about like a season two? Like, do you know if they intended to come back to Baton Rouge or to go somewhere else? Uh, I don't, I don't know, but man, did I ask that question 475,000 different ways? <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. yeah. And they're just like, and then, you know, because they're so smart and they write like this and whatever, you're like, Oh, are there any clues? Are there any clues? So that's what I was watching for. I was like, does this mean they would come back? I mean, they do have that apartment, like which she owns this house now, like what's going on? Yeah. I mean, honestly, it sounds like you might as well just be on the podcast with us because as soon as you said like 
that you were looking for clues and everything. That's literally all we do all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad to know that it's not just us. No, there are other crazy people out there too. Don't worry. You're not alone. (laughs) It's it's very encouraging. Um, Okay. So we always like to wrap up with kind of uh, a speed round and then a final thoughts question. Um, Our speed round is basically, you know, you've addressed some of these points, but this is kind of the final say. Um, We're going to run through basically a list of assumptions that one might make because they did watch Edge of History and now Baton Rouge is burned into their brains. Um, ideally as accurately as possible, right? Um, and so we're, we're going to go through these assumptions and just tell us true or false. And if you want to elaborate on any of them, feel free. Sound okay? okay? Yes. Okay. There is a Freemason Lodge in Baton Rouge. Yes, two. Ooh. And there's a Freemason building that's in a prime real estate place. It's had a for sale sign on it forever. And no one really knows why things aren't moving or happening. And people, people ask me if they can break in. I'm like, why are, why, why would you ask me that? Like, if you're going to break in, break in, get arrested, but don't ask me. Like, I'm not going to give you permission. Anyway. Oh my gosh. That, okay. So wild. Um, Number two, there is an FBI field office in Baton Rouge. We have had temporary ones set up for certain investigations, but no. Yeah, well, that's something. All right. Um, Visitors to Baton Rouge can visit the USS Kid. 100% and highly encourage you to do it and buy some of the swag. Oh, yes. Oh, was that gift shop the real gift shop when they filmed in the gift shop? It is, but the they put they move the gift shop in the museum. So there's a museum and then you go out to the ship and the gift shop's on the bottom floor and they moved it to the top for this for the light. Got it. Oh, cool. Um, okay, number four. Relatively broke young adults can easily afford huge apartments in this city. False. <laughs> but but we are a college town, so there's a lot of affordable housing and really cool housing. So if you all live together, yeah, sure, you can afford it. Oh, there you go. I mean, they did they did live as 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 groups. It's so funny online. That was one of the like quote unquote criticisms that viewers had. It was like, there's no way these people could have this nice of a place. I just, I just, we'll just let, let go with it. Yeah, yeah. Just movie magic. Maybe they um, someone who really wanted to rent out their place cheap. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Baton Rouge locals frequent a bar called Squeaky Pete's. True, 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 true. And you can go catch an LSU game and some good bar food, a couple of drinks, watch some live music. Yeah, highly recommend. Meriwether Lewis's journal is on display at the governor's mansion. False. That's Sorry. a bummer, but that's okay. We'll, we'll... Other really cool things on display, but not that. Okay. C- can you visit the governor's mansion? The old governor's mansion yeah. that they, yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And the old governor's mansion, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but the old governor's mansion where they filmed, the downstairs is where they filmed the governor's ball. Mm-hmm. And then upstairs was the Freemasons um, space. So they did it. Wait, did they do that? Oh, no, no, they did that at the old state capitol. Sorry, I correct. I stand corrected. So old state capitol is where they did the Freemason space, which is also a space you can visit. The old state capitol and the old governor's mansion are walking distance from one each other, uh, from each other downtown. And Squeaky Pete's, you can do a nice little triangle there. Oh my gosh, I have whiplash. This is so exciting. Um, okay, my last one. Baton Rouge is located near the Devil's Swamp. 
false. Tons of swamps though. So you can call them whatever you want. You can go see a swamp whenever you want, but not the devil swamp. Devil swamp is, again, there's one in Mississippi, but I don't think it's the same idea. Awesome. Well, well, thank you. Um, I, I have the honor uh, of being able to ask this last question to everybody that we interview. And that's a really meaningful one to us. Um, from your perspective, what do you hope that viewers of Edge of History take away from the show, particularly regarding Baton Rouge? Sure. The the good old red stick. So I I hope I feel like the people who really, really love and watch these series are very intelligent and history hungry people. And so I I am hopeful that people will see it as a teaser to some of the history that we have here and some of the interesting points. I think there's enough in the show to drive tourism and people to come check it out for themselves. But I look forward to those people discovering how much more that is here. And I hope that people realize that this isn't all that's here. It's just the tip of the iceberg. So people will take the time to come down and really discover and see. And on that note, I do have something really exciting to share. Baton Rouge will be rolling out a film trail, a formal film trail, and you can go ahead and see some of it online now on the Set Jetters app, which for anybody who likes travel tourism, it's a global map of different locations. And we will be launching specifically a competition and a, a prize for a um, Edge of History trail specifically so you can follow the show through baton rouge and see where it filmed oh my gosh congratulations do you know when it's launching we'll launch it next year we probably we're aiming for q1 it might be q2 yeah amazing so even more of a reason not just for us but for all the national treasure hunters to plan a visit to baton rouge in let's say mid 2024 early to mid 2024 that sounds so exciting i oh my god i can't wait to see it well, we can't wait to host you guys. Come down anytime. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. This has been such a blast. Really appreciate um, you sharing all of this with us. And as you know, we will be in touch. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yo, her job sounds so cool. I am legitimately jealous. I'm just going to say, like, I don't feel like I could ever do that because the amount of information she very clearly holds in her head is like a thousand times more than what I am capable of. I mean, from I, I guess there are probably parts of the job that are, are fairly mundane, but like, especially in the context of Edge of History, I thought it was so cool how it seems like she was able to interact with the production team in a somewhat creative way. It sounds like in a way that's fairly unique from other projects, but being able to go to them and be like, hey, here's our local history. Here are our structures and our buildings and what we have to offer. Like, how can we actually feature this history or make this history or this building or what have you stand in for something else that serves your creative purposes? I don't know. I just... It sounds like such a creative like puzzle to be involved with and that, that feels very stimulating. So I don't know, maybe um, maybe I'm in the wrong line of work. I don't know. Um, any any highlights for you from the interview, Em? Yeah, I think what really struck me is, you know, kind of going along with what I said, Katie obviously has a lot of information mm -hmm. um, in her head and knows a lot about the Baton Rouge, New Orleans 
area, mm-hmm. right? But what really struck me was just how bought in she was to National Treasure as a franchise and how much she legitimately loved having the filming for Edge of History happen. Mm-hmm in baton rouge it's it's honestly it's so nice to see someone so proud of where they live and where they work and then to see that intersect with something that they're passionate about is really cool yeah to be able to you know bring that sort of passion and joy about your home to very public projects probably is really really rewarding and you know what off air once we stopped recording katie was sharing with us some really really interesting stories about like some major actors who've come through um come through you know baton rouge and and filming uh where she has worked and so i actually wanted to take this opportunity to share something that we learned after recording stopped but I do think it's it's okay to share here because Katie did say we could have started recording again if we had wanted to. Um, so you know how, this is kind of a rhetorical question because you kind of know what I'm going to say, Em. So to the audience, you know how we have often pondered on the pod, you know, what is the real reason Nicolas Cage didn't make an appearance in Edge of History? And, you know, the, the polished, well-published answer from the Wibs themselves, in a lot of uh, cases, has been, oh, scheduling conflicts. We want to have him so bad, but he's such a busy man. And while that's certainly true, he is, like, always working on a new project. Um, Katie did share with us that at the same time that Edge of History was filming in Baton Rouge, Nicolas Cage was in New Orleans filming Renfield at the same time so y'all our little national treasure hunt speculation that maybe it was like a creative difference um maybe nicholas cage didn't really love the idea of this show happening before national treasure 3 etc i don't know maybe it has a little steam here because you cannot tell me that he you know he was in the same state for god's sakes yeah i mean oof feel like there's a lot to unpack there but we've we've definitely kept you on for a long time here so Aubrey why don't you take us to a close here all right everyone well I am sad but proud to remind you that this is the final episode of National Treasure Hunt season seven but don't you worry season eight will begin airing in January of 2024 um, we will have some bonus content hopefully coming your way in the off season, and you'll definitely get bonus content if you join us over on our Patreon. We also, as I previewed at the top, have some really exciting things coming your way in 2024, including some bonus Baton Rouge content. So basically, get hyped, get excited. Yes, get excited. And while you're getting excited, go ahead and find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. If you haven't yet, order our book, National Treasure Hunt, One Step Short of Crazy. And for even more of this off-season content that Aubrey was talking about, go ahead and join our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash NT Hunt Podcast. We'll see you next season. Or before then? We'll see. Until then, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. 
and thank you so much for joining us on our national treasure hunt. Thank you.